As we turn to consider God's word, let's pray and ask for the Spirit's help this morning. Lord God, our creator, our maker and sustainer, we look to you. And specifically, we ask that by your Holy Spirit that you would give us fresh eyes, eyes of our heart to see anew this text that we've probably heard many times before. We ask that you give us clear minds, that you would remove distractions so that we can study rightly and closely your word this morning. And we also ask that you would give us open hearts to receive and apply the truth found in your word for us this morning. This we ask for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Loved ones, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the scripture passage we'll consider this morning from Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 38. So Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to Hear now the reading of God's holy and infallible word for us this morning. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. So far the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing to it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, loved ones, it is in Charles Dickens' novel, A Christmas Carol, that we are first introduced to that infamous character, Ebenezer Scrooge, and of course his late night encounters with the three spirits of Christmas that changed his heart. And we hear in that story about this cold-hearted miser who despised Christmas and how he becomes overnight, in a sense, a compassionate man of mercy. Now the greatest recipient of his change of heart is a little boy 
named Tiny Tim, who represents the impoverished and overlooked in the world. Uh, we learn that if Scrooge, in this story, chose to ignore Tiny Tim, that he would die from his illness. But if Scrooge had that change of heart and set his favor upon the young crippled boy, blessing him with the resources that he had at his disposal, well, then Tiny Tim would live. Now, we know this story, right? We've all seen it probably hundreds of times, some of us. But did you know that that reflects, this story reflects an aspect of the gospel itself? What aspect? Well, this one, the truth that God sets his favor upon the lowly and meager of the world to show off his lofty grace. And how does it show that? Well, in a sense, the old Scrooge that we're first introduced to is kind of like the world. He represents the world in a sense. It is consumed with greed and self-exaltation. The world that really doesn't care if you live or die. But the transformed Scrooge with that change of heart is like God. Like God who sets his favor upon the lowly of this world to save them and give them life. You see, God loves to set his favor upon the lowly of this world, showing off his lofty grace. This isn't only found in the New Testament. This is found in the Old Testament as well, such as Isaiah 57, 15, where God says this. He says, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. So even though he is high and lifted up in glory, he also comes and dwells with those who are low, of low position in this world. And this is good news for us this morning, for those who realize that they are not the high and mighty ones of the world, but instead are lowly, meager sinners in need of God's favor. And that's, that's what we'll see this morning as we study this passage together. Here, Luke is showing us how God highly favored this young virgin girl named Mary in order to fulfill promises of old, his prophecies that he had laid out years before. Also to show us the kind of people that God sets his favor upon and also showing us by way of example how we ought to respond to such grace with faith in the powerful promise of God. So first, let's consider the fulfillment of prophecies that we see here in this passage. You know, each of the four accounts of the life, ministry, and death and resurrection of Christ, but in particular, each of the four accounts of his birth show us how God was fulfilling prophecies, fulfilling prophecies that he had long gave before to his people Israel. And Luke here in this text is no exception. He wants us to see that the Son of God was born to a young virgin girl and also born into the royal house of King David. And so this happened exactly according to how God had planned it and foretold in the Old Testament. And the main prophecy that stands behind this text, so to speak, is found in Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9 uh, verses 1 through 7, if you'd like to turn there. In Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 7, this 
is what God had promised to his people Israel about 700 years before the birth of Christ. And we hear Isaiah say this, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish, and her is his people, Israel here. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Nebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. A great and glorious promise that God gave to Israel. Again, 700 years more or less before the birth of Christ. And we should remember as we come to this text in Luke that the time before the birth of Jesus was one of darkness and gloom. The passage just before the one we read in Isaiah in Isaiah 8 describes the situation of Israel. How by turning away from God's word and seeking other authorities to lead them in life, it resulted in gloom and darkness for them. And that's exactly what Isaiah claims in chapter 8, verse 22, saying basically that when people reject God's word, behold, it says, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness by turning away from God's teaching, by turning away from his word. So if you reject the light, logically, if you reject light, you will find yourself in darkness. And so the promise that we just read from Isaiah 9 about this child born to us, a son given to us, it is like a promise that breaks through the thick clouds of darkness, like a ray of light shining down upon Israel and upon us. And we see that apart from God's word, there is no dawning of light, no hope at all in this world. That's where humanity was. And that's where this world is apart from the hope that is found in Christ. But, but notice that our own darkness, Israel's darkness, humanity's darkness did not stop God from setting out to show the light of his favor. Why didn't it stop him? Why didn't he see the darkness and turn his face away? Because he had already committed himself in love to his people by way of promise, by way of covenant, to send them hope. And we find another great prophecy and promise in 2 Samuel 7. 2 Samuel 7, where God gave his word to King David. And there, basically, he tells David that even if you and your children, David, fail me, and they will, I will raise up a son from your house who will be true to me. Though you fail me, I will establish my kingdom through that future son of yours. I will be his father and he will be to me a son, my son. And so because of that promise, Luke emphasizes here in our passage that Jesus would be that descendant of 
David and that the Lord would give him the throne of his father, David. And this is good news. This is good news that God didn't wait for humanity to respond and do the right thing. God was not sitting back and never sits back waiting for humanity to do the right thing. God always in grace takes the initiative. As Isaiah 9 said at the very end, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And that, that is what Christmas really is all about, right? The zeal of God to show grace to the undeserving. In the midst of great darkness, he has given us the light of his grace. He has favored lowly sinners like us. And that was in fulfillment of prophecies of old. It was his plan all along. And that leads us to our second point, his plan to show his favor to the poor remnant. So here in our text, we see Mary. We see Mary who was highly favored by the Lord, beyond all others, right? Think about it. She was chosen to be the recipient of the overshadowing power of the Holy Spirit upon her. The only woman in all of human history to bear in her own womb, in her own body, the eternal Son of God, and then raise him up as her own son, even though at the same time he was her Lord and her God. Amazing. The angel Gabriel says she was highly favored by the Lord. What was so special about Mary? Why was she chosen? Why did God favor her? Well, the author Luke here wants to show us that the gospel of God comes to poor and lowly sinners, lowly people like Mary. First, God came to the small remnant of believing Israel in the days of Mary, like Mary herself. And later, Luke in his gospel will show us how the gospel comes to the Gentile nations, to people like us, who are not born of the people of Israel. And so Mary represents the kind of people that God favors with his grace. New Testament scholar Raymond Brown says this, Luke fashioned the story of this announcement to Mary, whom he saw as a representative of the poor remnant of Israel. So she represents the poor remnant, that small people of Israel that still held on to the promises, still in the midst of darkness was looking for the hope of the fulfillment of all that God had prophesied long before. Now, how is Mary an example of that kind of person? Well, if we think about it, if we evaluate her, who she was, there is really nothing stately about her. She is not from a prominent city or a wealthy family. As the prophecy in Isaiah foretold, Mary was from a small, insignificant town in the region of Galilee, the town of Nazareth. And in John's gospel, it's kind of comical that Nathaniel says in response to Philip, can anything good come out of Nazareth, right? And so clearly, being born and raised in the city or town of Nazareth was no, nothing to boast of, gave you no bragging rights in ancient Israel. It was not a special or prominent city at all. And so we find that Mary was this ordinary young girl around the age of 14 years old, very young hadn't accomplished really anything in life at this point. And so very young, not prominent, not wealthy, 
not, not too different from many or some of the young girls who are here today, an ordinary young girl. And what does that teach us about the way God shows his grace and favor? Well, God does not countenance with favor those who think they are noble and worthy of it. He is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We hear that over and over again throughout the scriptures. And so his grace, we could say, goes to the grunts of the litter, so to speak. His favor is for the fatherless and the fallen. His love is for the lonely and the losers of the world. His mercy is meant for the mistreated and those who mourn. His salvation serves sinners and sufferers of this world. This is a truth that the Apostle Paul himself highlights in his first letter to the Corinthians. He reminds them that who they were before God called them out and set his grace and favor upon them. And Paul writes this. He says this to Christians. And so think of this as him speaking directly to you. Consider your calling, brothers, that effectual calling by the Holy Spirit when he grabbed you by his grace and gave you faith. Consider your calling. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. This is the way that God operates. This is the way that he shows his favor and grace. These are the kind of people that he lavishes his love upon. Why does God operate in that way? Well, Paul just told us. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Now, if we think about this, this is not the way that our world works or that we typically work either, right? We are used to what some call a meritocracy in this world meritocracy and if you think about it how do you win the world's favor today how do you win the world's attention and their smile upon you well by being wildly successful being good looking and entertaining in that way humans and others in society will set their favor upon you based on your merits what you have accomplished what you look like so favor in this world is given to the rich, the educated, and the popular. Now, how does that affect us? Well, as we live in the world and try and win the world's favor in that way, it is exhausting, isn't it? It's disheartening to the majority of people who are, the majority of people are moderately successful, average-looking, and quiet, not great entertainers, right? And so it is disheartening and discouraging that we live in such a world but you see that god highly favored mary even though she was nothing in the eyes of the world she was unknown and that's the way that god still works his love his love goes to those who are unlovely his favor is for the unfavorable of the world with with or, upon whom he lavishes with his fortune, the fortune of his grace. And it's not based on merit. It's based on his rich mercy. And so that means that if you today are not rich or famous according to worldly standards, if you realize that you too are a lowly sinner, 
Well, that's good news for you. It's good news for us that God loves to favor his people, favor people just like you and me, like Mary, people who see their need of grace. So is that you this morning? How does your heart react to hearing that news? Does it say, "Ah, no thanks, I'm good, I don't need God's mercy? Well, if that's your response this morning, then you are still blind blind to your own spiritual poverty. You're still in the world chasing after the world's fame and smile upon you. And one day, maybe, when you lose the fickle love and affection of the world, which comes and goes so quickly, hopefully you'll realize that you too are just as poor and needy of God's grace. Now, how did Mary's heart respond? this special gift of God's grace. Well, first, we see in the text that she was troubled, right? She was afraid, and she had questions, concerns, maybe even doubts, we could say. Mary didn't fully understand the promise that was given to her, but eventually we read that she took God at his word and submitted in faith. By faith, she believed in the powerful promise of God, and that leads us to Our third point this morning, faith in the power of God and his promises. So what exactly did God promise to Mary? Well, Gabriel, this angelic messenger of the Lord, told her that God was giving her this great child that would be born to her, conceived in her womb. He would be destined to be the eternal king of kings. He would be called the very son of God. His name would be Jesus. Why? As Matthew tells us, because he would save his people from their sins. Jesus means the Lord saves. And this was, this gift, this special promise to her, this was literally a one in 100 billion kind of gift. What I mean is that of all the people who have ever walked the earth, Mary alone was given the Son of God to carry in her body, to give birth to, to nurture and raise until he grew up to full stature as a man. What a gift, so unique, so special. Of course, she was highly favored, as the text says. But how would that happen? Since she was a virgin, she did not know a man sexually. No, that was her doubt and her own question, right? She says in the text, how will this be? Since I am a virgin. Now, As we look at the answer that Gabriel gave her, did Gabriel give her a full and complete answer to her question? Not really. Not really. He gave her a true answer, but he didn't fully explain how it would come to pass, how it would all work. There was a a lot of mystery involved in this, right? Mysteriously, even though she was a virgin, by the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit coming upon her, she would conceive a child without ever knowing a man sexually, without the agency of man involved. And so Gabriel adds in verse 37, for no word from God will ever fail. And literally the Greek there says, for nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is impossible for God. This is a true mystery, of course. It goes beyond our ordinary operation of life, beyond the ways that women typically have children, of course. Virgins don't conceive. It is humanly impossible. But Gabriel is saying, as hard as that is 
to believe for you, this is not a hard thing for God to do. Nothing is impossible for God to do. So let's think about it from this angle. The promise that was announced to Mary was, in a sense, tantamount to a new creation, the new beginning of humanity, a new start to life itself. And so today, when we go out and look at the world around us, and we see, as the hymn says, all things bright and beautiful, all creatures great and small, all things wise and wonderful, "'Twas God that made them all." And we think back to the, the original point of creation. In a sense, the whole created order, right, was born out of the empty womb of nothingness. Nothingness did not stop the one who inhabits eternity from making all things. No, he made it all out of nothing by the power of his word. So a virgin conceiving a child sounds crazy to us, and it sounded crazy for Mary too. That's why she had this question, this doubt that she raises to the angel. But it is no less crazy than believing that the entire cosmos came out of nothing by God in the beginning. In fact, what is even crazier to believe and less logical to believe is that this beautiful world of life and love that has a certain order and harmony to it came out of nothing and is leading to nothing. That is crazier to believe and nonsensical. By comparison, if we consider the premise, given the premise of the Lord God Almighty, with whom nothing is impossible, well, given that premise, well, the virginal conception of the Son of God is logically plausible. And it makes sense given who God is. You see, with God, all things are possible. And again, how did Mary respond to this mysterious promise of God's power? Well, by faith, she received the promise of Christ. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. So let's ask this question. What is God promising you today, this morning? What promise? Well, in a sense, it is the very same gift. What do I mean? The very same gift. The very same person of Christ for you. Of course, not physically or not biologically, but rather spiritually. The gift that Mary received grew up, right? And eventually he gave himself up in death to save us from our sins. And so now by the Spirit of God, the Father is actually giving us a better gift today. He gives us the same Son, Jesus Christ. But now we receive him as victorious and triumphant over sin and death. Mary, you see, she was highly favored to receive by faith Christ as a child. But she had to watch him grow up and then eventually go to the cross and die a shameful death, painful, pierced in her soul as she watched her own son die. And she had to watch and wait for three days, wondering and hoping that he would triumph over the grave. By comparison, we have the privilege to receive by faith today Christ as our champion, the one who has already triumphed over sin and death for us. 
So we receive the same one who was born lowly from Mary's womb, but now we know him as the one who has been raised gloriously from the tomb. Mary's gift at Christmas was the promise of God's power to save sinners. It's promise form still. The gift that we celebrate at Christmas is the fulfillment of God's promise to save sinners. He has already done it. He has already accomplished the work. Mary responded with faith in that powerful promise of God. And so how do you respond this morning to this promise for you, to this good news for sinners like us? Again, I remind you what we've seen today, that the gospel is about how God sets his favor upon the lowly and meager of the world to show off his lofty grace. So are you still this morning a boastful, cold-hearted person like Scrooge, not thinking that you are in need of grace? Or do you see that, in fact, you are like tiny Tim, small, weak, and needy? needy of God's grace. You see, Christmas is about laying down our own merits, laying down our pride to receive the gift of God's favor for us. God doesn't want us to give him a gift. He wants us to receive the gift that he already sent for sinners like us. And so this morning, receive his son, Jesus, receive him into your heart, and he will give you that change of heart by his Holy Spirit. Honor him with faith, and he will bless you with his eternal glory by his grace. His glory, which is his goodness and his grace for sinners and sufferers like us. Receive him. Amen. Let us pray. We thank you, Father God, for this text that we have considered this morning that you have set before our hearts. And Lord, we know and believe that apart from your Holy Spirit illuminating and applying these truths deep down, pressing them into our hearts, that there will be no change in us. And so we ask, Lord, that by your Spirit, you would indeed press them down deep in until they catch fire with holy love, that we might receive truly in our hearts the gift of your own Son for us. Lord, we ask that that would change us, that we, like Mary, would respond in faith and say, behold, here we are, Lord, your servants. Do what you will with us. Lord, we ask that you would give us willing hearts to respond in faith, open up our hearts, Give us faith. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.